Morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this, uh, this FinTech session. Um, uh, nice to see so many of you here. Uh, this is kind of an exciting departure from the normal script for the ASA convention. Um, today we get the opportunity to essentially hear pitches from people at the coalface of FinTech. For many of us, FinTech is just the word that we've heard, uh, heard bandied about. Uh, I hope after today you will have been convinced of its importance and relevance in, uh, in your life. Um, so we have uh, three entrepreneurs uh, to tell us a little bit about their stories this morning. Uh, we're also privileged to have with us uh, Yossi Hassan, who is the Managing Director of Techstars and the Barclays Accelerator Program. Um, and he will be, I'll leave it to him to tell you more about that program and to introduce each of the, each of the speakers today. Um, so, if you've, you may have noticed a difference between what you see on the screen here and um, what appears in the program on that convention app that by now surely you have all downloaded. Uh, unfortunately, we uh, are missing two of the presenters that we had hoped to have here today for a variety of reasons, including the, the good old-fashioned visa problems. But we are privileged to have with us today Nana from Asariba, uh, Waweru from Inukapap, and Bradley from Wispass. Um, what that does, of course, is it creates a little bit of space in the program. So that has implications for everybody involved. For the speakers, it means, guys, I'm not going to be quite as dictatorial about your time limits as I would otherwise have been, so you can relax and tell your story in full. Uh, for the audience, that means all of you, uh, this places a grave responsibility on you to make sure that you ask enough stimulating questions that we fill up the space here. What we're going to do is we're going to have an opportunity for questions after each of the speakers has spoken, uh, and then at the end, uh, a final opportunity for any more general questions that you may, you may have. Um, but guys, we do not want to suffer the shame of having to end the session early and crawl out of here and go and look for an early coffee. So there is a great responsibility on you to ask lots and lots of, uh, of questions. Uh, I have, on Andy's suggestion, checked whether it was possible to live scream the, cr the cricket if we uh, run out of time, and unfortunately that's not possible, so it's all in your hands. Uh, what it means for me is uh, actually I get to say one or two words more than I would otherwise have, uh, have got to say, so I'm going to abuse the privilege. Um, the fact that you are here, that you're all sitting here and haven't chosen to go to one of the parallel sessions kind of suggests that you have already been convinced of the importance of, wis of, uh, of, t of fintech, so I am in some sense probably going to be preaching to the converted, uh, but I think it's worth reiterating that for any actuary, who has any kind of responsibility, big or small, for the strategic direction of their organizations. Uh, fintech, insurtech, and the spaces around that are not areas that you can afford to ignore. Uh, and the reason should be pretty obvious, right? Um, we are living through an incredible technological revolution. Um, technology has the ability, obviously, to address some of the needs that we're currently addressing, but to do so in a better and more efficient way. It has the ability to address needs that we're currently not able to meet, and it has the ability actually to identify needs that we haven't even begun to thought, think about. On top of all of that, technology offers the ability for a breadth and depth of engagement with customers that simply is not possible in, uh, in, in its absence. Um, it should be fairly obvious to all of you that to the extent that our businesses and industries are going to be disrupted, uh, that, is, that disruption is likely to come from a technological direction. We spend a lot of time in the races that we're running 
glancing to the lanes to the left and the right, trying to keep our noses in front of our existing competitors. The reality is what's more likely to happen to all of us is to have a supercharged, biologically enhanced runner appear directly in front of us and, uh, and, and run us completely out of the race. Um, at the risk of cliche, but for the sake of using uh, examples that are familiar to everybody, uh, just ponder for a moment what taxi associations were thinking about when Uber burst onto the scene, or where the minds of hotel chains were when Airbnb came and revolutionized the, the holiday accommodation market. So wherever technology intersects with the areas where actuaries practice, uh, we need to take it very, very seriously. That's going to mean getting to grips with new ways of doing business. It's going to mean letting go of some of our deeply held and most cherished assumptions about the way the world works. Um, because tech firms and those who've grown up in that, uh, that way of thinking are not constrained by the sort of things that hold us back. They're not constrained by an insularity of vision. They are not constrained by the wisdom that's been passed down by generation to, from generation to generation about what is possible and what is impossible. And they're not at all constrained by the artificial boundaries around markets and industries within which paradigms we tend to think. So we are going to have to um, get used to this new way of thinking. And uh, really, the, for, for, for me, in thinking about uh, technology and tech startups, there are two questions that need to be at the front of our minds. Um, the first of those is, what are the potential benefits from partnering with um, with tech startups, with uh, people who are solving problems in different ways, and you might find that the answer to that question is actually quite staggering. Uh, the other question is, what are the potential risks, what potential damage could I be doing to myself by ignoring it? And you might find that the answer to that is uh, incredibly frightening. So on that note, I, uh, I'd like to hand over to, uh, to Yossi, the MD of Techstars, to tell us a little bit about their program and then to introduce the speakers for us. Thanks, Yossi. Thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, that was a, a great introduction to uh, the Barclays Accelerator and Techstars and, and why we do what we do. I, I remember fondly my dad trying to program the VCR when I was a little kid and thinking, how can you not get this right? And the other day, I, um, without wanting to acknowledge it, tried to get really into Snapchat and realized that I am now my dad. Um, so. Just a little introduction to myself. My name is Yossi. I originally started a, a company at the age of 21 called Synac, which thankfully after 12 years of struggle and, and, uh, and hard work managed to sell to Dimension Data and exit the company before joining Dimension Data. And I live firsthand the experience that our founders at Techstars in 2006 really came uh, together and said, after starting many businesses, two individuals who you may have heard of, a guy by the name of David Cohen uh, and another person by the name of Brad Felt, uh, they're probably most famous today of being early seed investors in Uber, uh, and uh, you know how that story's gone, so have done very well in that. They came together in 2006 and said, we've realized after starting four businesses and exiting them, that capital isn't the main requirement that companies uh, or startups require. When you're a first-time entrepreneur uh, and you're a business of 10 people, that's the biggest business you've ever run. You're a business of 15 people, that's the biggest business you've ever run. You've got no real experience and know-how in what it takes to launch, scale, and grow a business. So capital might help alleviate some of those bumps, but generally it's not the difference between success and failure for these companies. What makes a massive difference is that experience. It's access to networks which you maybe haven't formed yet. 
It's those things that, when combined, really can leapfrog and accelerate the growth of a technology startup. Because you're working in a world of uncertainty. Tech, by its very nature, is uncertain because it's changing so fast. So they came together and said, well, what if we could create a space where we find what we believe to be the 10 best tech businesses, we bring them to a single co-working space, we have them all working together, and we use the networks that we have and bring individuals who've had this experience, who've scaled businesses, and bring them to them, and also bring the capital to them, and do that in a very intensive 13-week program. In 2006, that's what they termed the first accelerator. They really had no idea what they were doing. They were just trying an experiment, and it was extremely successful. Since 2006 till today, Techstars has now scaled the globe. We run 23 programs uh, across the world, 17 in the US and uh, now six outside of the US. We've invested in over 900 companies, all early stage tech businesses, and the portfolio value of those businesses is in excess of $5 billion today. So the program and the model has been extremely successful, bringing on talented entrepreneurs, trying to disrupt the tech industry with this peer network of really experienced mentors to work with these companies in an intensive 13-week program uh, and then bringing some capital uh, into that equation has vastly changed the statistics of success for an entrepreneurial business. Most companies, you've probably heard the stat that after five years of starting, 90% of businesses that have started have failed. With Techstars, we turn that around. Uh, five years after a Techstars program, 90% of businesses are still active. 12% uh, have been acquired in that 90%, and 78% are still going concerns, and 10% have failed. So the model works extremely well in making sure that these startups have an unfair advantage in terms of what they're trying to do. That's the Techstars model. We run the Barclays Accelerator, uh, which is powered by Techstars in Cape Town, and ran the first program this year the first program on the African continent. Uh, but for Barclays, they asked that same question. What are the benefits of us being able to work with a startup, and what are the risks if we don't? For them, it's how can we accelerate our access to new technologies and be able to bring new innovations into the bank so that we don't potentially get disrupted by this wave of fintech. What does fintech mean? What are we doing? What are we doing about it? How do we grow our current business and at the same time get an exposure to what it means to move at the pace of a startup and to think like a startup. So they started their first program in London uh, under a, a brand of a, a, a cohort of a brand called Rise. So you may have heard of the Rise program. And that started in London four years ago, and it was extremely successful. Uh, we've had four cohorts in London of 10 companies each, uh, expanded into New York, London, Vilnius, and now Cape Town. So you've got these programs running from around the world where we're getting roughly about 1,000 applications of fintech businesses. We screen, those, we screen those applications down to about 60. Barclays get involved in the selection of, uh, from then of those 60 companies, and we choose 10 businesses to work uh, at the RISE offices in those different locations uh, and work in that 13-week accelerator environment. But this time, with about 30 to 40 senior Barclays executives forming part of that mentor pool uh, and working with the companies to see how can this relate to what Barclays is trying to do and how can we accelerate the growth of these companies uh, on the continent. Our program, uh, we recruited from uh, the entire globe. We got applications from 44 different countries. We got 462 applications uh, and narrowed it down to the 10 companies that went through the accelerator. 
Today, you're going to get the opportunity to see three of those companies um, pitch their presentation, which was done at the end of the event, which is called Demo Day, where we uh, invite an audience of investors and stakeholders to come and see the pitch uh, of these companies to hopefully help them fundraise. So that's the concept of the Barclays Accelerator. That's the concept uh, of Techstars. I know when that I started my first business, when I started our company, Synac, the first three to four years we made a plethora of mistakes that if we hadn't have made them would have saved us a hell of a lot of time, money, and uh, many, many tears. Uh, so having this kind of model would have been extremely beneficial to us. So what we talk about at Techstars is the mission is to create the best global ecosystem that gives startups an unfair advantage. And really, that's what it is all about. Uh, so the more success we see in these tech startups, the better it is for the economy, the better it is for the country. And we really want to see Africa leading the way uh, in the fintech revolution. And we have that opportunity because we have the ability to leapfrog so many uh, different industries, as you will see uh, amongst, uh, across the continent, as mobile money is probably going to leapfrog credit cards uh, as a concept. Uh, in many of the countries in which we operate. So I hope you enjoy the pitches today. We will have opportunity for questions both on uh, the Barclays Accelerator, on Techstars, and on the companies. Uh, so please do, do field them. Uh, but up first, I'd like to introduce a very special founder who I had the opportunity of spending 13 weeks from. Uh, he also holds uh, the title for the longest name in a uh, Techstars program, uh, and was the person who when you'll meet him, you'll understand, really exemplifies the term always be closing. Uh, so fresh out from Ghana, I'd like to uh, welcome and introduce Nana Opoku Wari Ofori Agiaman Prempe. Hello, everybody. Super excited to be here, and thanks so much, Yussi. Before I actually talk about the pitch, just want to piggyback about where Yoshi started from. So because of um, this wonderful program we went through, my company has moved from five employees to 15. And now we have presence not just in Ghana, but in Nigeria and South Africa, all in less than two months. So it's amazing what um, Techstars and the Backlist program has offered us. And today I'm very excited to share with you the story of Asoreba. So Asoreba, before I begin, means church member in a local dialect called Tree and I'll be taking you to church today. So, my name is Nanam, CEO of Asoreba, and when you think about churches, probably you think about a building like this with a couple of old ladies at the back sleeping during a short service. But in Africa, when we talk about church, this is what we mean. Yeah, so take a moment and just take your eye in there. And this is, this is an amazing picture. This epitomizes how services are done with so much energy and excitement, people worshiping. But for a moment, think about it. If you were the administrator of this church, how are you going to manage all these people? So the kind of problems church leaders and administrators face includes um, using a lot of papers to keep records, particularly around membership data, attendance, and reports. It's, it's a headache. Beyond that, there's really not an easy way of creating a very tight community because it's hard to communicate beyond that service. What's the birthday of that guy who came last name? What's his anniversary? How do I call him and say, hey, happy anniversary? You simply can't tell because there's so many people. And when they do have services and they have to give, do you know how the donation is done? It's in pure cash. To so think about all these people giving money or giving their offerings in cash. 
That's a lot of work. And you, you know how it's recorded? They use notebooks with pens. That's really not scalable. But if you think about letting the members be aware of the services that is going to happen, they use billboards like these that are planted all over the city. And in Accra, you can see it all over. How many people can see this? How do you measure the reach? You simply can't. It's very expensive, too. This problems that are faced by the church leaders has a direct implication on the members. The members, because of the large sizes, there's less engagement beyond that typical service. And this results in another problem that makes them less um, community. They, they, are, they are not so connected. They are not so engaged. And because of lack of engagement, it results in lower donations. Why is this a problem when they cannot easily raise a lot of funds? So if you, have, if you see a lot of emerging markets, they, the church often plays a central role. The church builds the schools, the hospitals, takes care of the homeless and the needy. So when the church cannot raise funds, it simply cannot do the things that helps the entire community to thrive. So that is a very big thing when the country is funds. Now, these problems I'm just describing affects over 2.6 million churches that have about half a billion members. And in a year, they process about $25 billion in cash. So think about Barclays doing all its operation in cash. I mean, that would be a big problem, right? Every single thing being done in pure cash. So... We set out to solve this problem, and that's how come we built Asoriba. So what's Asoriba? Asoriba simply is a web-based CRM that allows the church leaders to effectively manage the entire congregations wherever they are in the world. And for members, we provide them with a mobile app that allows them to stay connected and engage with their church leaders wherever they are. At the same time, they can donate digitally from their phone. So we often say we are digitizing the entire church experience. So let me show you how it works. Like, like many of us, the first thing we do when we wake up is to pick our phones and, and check the latest notifications we had. Um, similarly for Katya, she's going to do the same thing. She's going to check what notifications she got, and she's going to click on that, sorry about notification, which was a devotional sent by her pastor. Devotions are scriptures that are sent daily by pastors to their members. This one is on Titan. Titans are 10% of monthly incomes most Christians give to God through their church. So after reading, she wants to give a tithe. She clicks on the Given button, scrolls down, select the tithe option, and in there she puts in the amount, which is $100, and clicks Pay. Once she clicks Pay, the money leaves her bank account and goes straight into the church's bank account. And right there, the pastor can get to see who Katia is, how much she gave, who processed the payment, when it was settled. But beyond that, he has deep insight to his entire church database from which he draws deep insight to help him and his entire board to make very key decisions during such board meetings. And the decisions that are taken on these board meetings, like the upcoming Sunday service, can easily be communicated from the CRM to the members. So whether you're at work, in the kitchen, at school, or at the shop, you get a notification on your mobile phone about this decision, and this creates a real-time, tight community. So I was expecting a round of applause at that point. Yeah, so that's how we, we basically use both fintech, data, and software to help create a tighter Christian community. So the church simply says thank you by paying for um, a platform fees annually for the service. In addition, there are other services like the donation bits, which are standard service charges. Um, and at the same time, you can also fundraise. I talked about fundraising earlier on. But one of the most powerful things that we just started looking into was financial services. 
So like I said, the church tends to help a lot of the um, weak and poor people in society. So being able to provide affordable, safe financial services for the members of the church is very key. So like funeral insurance, health insurance, and stuff like that on a very stable, strong platform which connects to the church community. But beyond that, the church members are able to buy content like sermons and books and stuff like that from the church platform. And also, remember the billboard I showed you? Now the church can directly send messages to a targeted audience, helping it to stop spending a lot of money on billboards, but using efficient methods. So before we entered into the Barclays um, Techstars program, we were just about 30,000 members on our platform. But now we have over 60,000 members on our sorry bar. And we have close to 1,000-plus churches that are signed up on our platform. And this is just the beginning. So you can imagine. To help us really scale, we have very strong partnerships with um, Vodafone. And just recently, MTN came on board to help us tap into the mobile money functionality. And also, we have an amazing relationship with Backlist and APSA. And in there, we are looking at how to effectively bring financial services to this large um, half a billion Christian network. But if you think about Nigeria, who here has been to Nigeria? Over 22 million people in one city, Lagos. When you think about Nigeria, it's a very powerful market. And in there, we are able to bring Asoyaba through our relationship with Interswitch. Interswitch is one of the biggest payment processes um, on the continent. So this is um, the traction we have so far, but the list goes on. Um, been listed as best startup in Ghana, best startup in, in, in Africa by C-Stars. CNN was like for a whole week airing us and, and it goes on. But the amazing thing is about the team, my co-founders. From the right is Savia. Savia is the son of a pastor. He's a chief product for our web applications. He built a CRM, very sharp guy. Next is Jesse. Jesse is also a Catholic, passionate guy, and builds an amazing mobile product. Now, Soyba's mobile app is going social. In, in another sense, you can now network with other Christians in different churches in different parts of the world. And all that is through Jesse, including the payments. And Patrick, the shortest guy, is a very amazing CTO. He's built a Soyba to be an API that allows us to connect and plug into multiple systems from different parts of the world. And next to Patrick is Albert. Obed is the head of um, the business unit. He handles this entire sales unit and also helps us market the product both online and offline with um, certifications from Google. He's a very, very sharp guy too. And myself, Nana, the CEO. I'm also a son of a pastor and a pastor in training, and I have a background in machine systems, agri-engineering, and at the same time learned to build software. And my main aim is to help this company grow rapidly and expand into key markets. And already in one and a half years, we've done Ghana, Nigeria, and I'm here in South Africa actually launching the business soon. And in two years, we want to have all these key markets so that we can both connect the half a billion African Christians and provide technology that works and helps them to experience a very unique um, Christian and church life. So we often say we are on a journey, a journey that is designed to bring deeper engagement and also build flourishing communities in the church through effective church administration so that as a whole, the church can have the financial freedom it needs to create that impact in the society and ultimately to fulfill its core vision, which is to win more souls and grow the kingdom through using our platform, Asoyeba. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nana. Uh, as I said, we're going to take a couple of questions in between each. So if anybody's got some questions for Nana before we get on to our next speaker. 
in the front. Guy, do we have a, a mic? Thanks. That's amazing, Nana. Well done. Thank you, sir. Um, I have two questions. Um, the one is how you distribute to churches, and the other is within those churches, uh, what proportion of people engage uh, with the church community through your app? Uh, it's probably a hard question to answer, but what have you found on average? What, what proportion of people have the kind of functionality and the desire to engage digitally within that church community? Yeah. Okay, so first, how do you distribute it? It's uh, web-based. Um, Mobile and US is your feature phone platform. So typically, people can sign up online. And for the members, they can use both the mobile app or they can use their feature phones to um, tap into the system's functionality. In terms of engagement, I'll say 100% on this platform. The reason being, the church actually sends messages to all the members. So from the church's um, headquarters or the church sending messages to members, everyone must be connected kind of everyone must be rich but on the mobile app side which is actually the future of the church experience we've seen a gradual increase over time where most people who have smartphones can begin to connect and engage but what we believe is that for now in the next let's say two to five years is going to be the ussd or the feature phone version which allows anybody who just has a phone and can tap into USSD functionalities to both receive information, send information, donate and connect. And we think this is very key for um, the larger market because, yes, smartphone penetration is upcoming, but a lot of people still have high cost with data, but they have a phone which can tap into USSD. Thanks. Time for one more question for Nana. Again in the front. Hi, um, thank, you. thank you so much for, for this presentation. And um, I mean, I know there's the, there's the big church in Joburg called Rivers, and they recently went onto SnapScan, and they said it's just such a big help because all those people bringing cash to a church, you know, it, it becomes quite a big security risk. Yeah. Um, and this leads me to my question for you guys is, you know, being actuaries, we, we like to focus on risk and, you know, the downsides and stuff. How, how are you guys getting around the whole risk of hacking, of, you know, like a rogue programmer coming onto your system and stealing all the, all the money? Yeah, yeah. You know, how much time and attention are you going to be spending to, towards security and preventing such things from happening? Yeah. So um, internally on our application are multiple layers of security. One of the most popular ones being two-factor authentication, um, encryption, and um, token authentications in the software itself. But when it comes to using your bank account and making donations and payments, by the virtue of APIs or application programming interfaces and being able to tap into the bank's core payment infrastructure, you basically leverage the skill sets and the security functionalities of the bank. So let's say Backlist APSA has a very robust um, security payment system which allows you to use your card everywhere across the world. We plug into the API which allows us to use the same functionality because they have taken time to build all that in. And not just, not just for backlist, talking about mobile money. Um, if you take an MTM mobile money, which has 
very deep security layers in. Once again, through APIs plugging into our application, we're able to provide these services and tap into all the security mechanisms there. But internally on our, on our applications, like I mentioned, there are multiple layers of security that we use to prevent um, data breaches. For, for example, the infrastructure we use is run by Amazon Web Services, and Amazon Web Services is one of the world's best platforms to run your application on. Thank you very much. So that was uh, Ghana. We're going to take a, a trip to, to Kenya now. Uh, and just to give you context, when we're going through these 1,000 applications and narrowing them down onto the ones that we choose, at Techstars we talk about having uh, five areas of focus, sometimes six. And the five are team, 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 uh, idea, market. Uh, and maybe market and then idea. And that's kind of how we evaluate uh, the companies that are coming through. At an early stage of a business, really what sets apart the companies is not so much the idea that they have, but the team that's behind them. And uh, when I saw uh, Waweru and Inukupup's application, immediately felt the infectiousness of this team and the personalities behind the company. And that translated into the program. So um, not only was Nana fo uh, sorry, Waweru focused on building his business, he was one of the founders who spent also the most time helping others build theirs. Uh, so I'm very proud and excited to uh, welcome uh, Waweru onto the stage and present Inukapap. Thank you, Yossi, for the beautiful introduction. And uh, it, feel, it feels good to be in front here right now and today. And uh, before I start, I'd like to talk about Inukapap for a minute. Um, when, when the last time I did this presentation, I had six minutes. And I don't know what I did right between then and now. Today I have 18 minutes. It feels really good. Um, <laughs> Inukapap. When you, when you look at the word, I come from Kenya, and in Kenya, Inukapap is not food. It means, it, it, it's mean, it means instant, and Inuka means rise up. So Inukapap means rise up instantly. And uh, this is Mama Yeyo. Mama Yeyo lives in our village in Kenya. She works for my dad. And when she gets paid, she does not save her money in the bank because there are no banks in the village. And so her only option is to save her money in these local credit cooperatives where people save money to borrow loans. Now, it takes up to two weeks for her to be able to access a loan. Now, a little background about Mama Yeyo, she has 10 children. This is a true story. And I can assure you one thing. If you had 10 children and you found yourself in an emergency situation with one of them, having money saved in a local cooperative that you cannot access through an ATM or a credit card is a risk that you also would not want to take. And so for Mama Yeyo, what she did was she had a cap where she would put some money and hide in the ceiling. So this one time she goes to the ceiling to get her money because of an emergency and what she found was shocking. Money scattered across the roof half 
chewed. Apparently, Mama Yeyo had opened a joint account with rats. But imagine, imagine a Kenya where Mama Ayeyo and the 13 million people who save money in these local credit cooperatives are able to access their money in case of an emergency instantly. Imagine if they could just go on their phone and be able to access the funds and be able to use, spend it anywhere, anyhow, right on their mobile phones. In comes Inuka Pop. We have developed a mobile platform that partners with these local credit cooperatives to provide their members with access to instant loans. How does it work? Once we sign an agreement with a cooperative, they load, they, the, the, the cooperative members will get a, a text telling them exactly how to access the fund. This is right after we upload them on our platform. So, for example, in this instant, if Mama Ayeyo's child falls sick, all she has to do is she has to go on her mobile phone. She's able to dial a USSD so it can work with the feature phone. And she's able to get money right on her mobile phone instantly. She can buy airtime and she's able to call a cab. And when the cab gets there, she takes her to hospital. She is able to pay for the cab using her mobile phone. And when she goes to hospital, she gets treated and is able to make payment again on her mobile phone. This is made possible because we are integrated with the largest mobile money, uh, uh, mobile money wallets in Africa, being M-Pesa and Airtel, and it allows us to do this. We are the missing link between the cooperatives and their members. We have solved real issues. We have literally saved lives in many instances. Without, the co without Inuka Pub, the cooperative spends 30% of their revenue to process, to manage, and to recover loans. We process, we manage, and we recover these loans at half the price, right on the platform. And this 15% revenue is equivalent to $8 in annual revenue per member for Inuka Pub. Early, when we started off uh, with the testing, we had 200 users on the platform. We have grown this uh, to about 12,000 active right now, and we have already onboarded another 20,000 who, are, who, are, who, are, who have not yet gotten into the who have not yet started uh, using the platform. And while doing this, while going through this process, we discovered a couple of things. Number one, most, a lot, about 30% of these funds borrowed actually go to treat illnesses, to buy medication. The second thing was that we've gotten an overwhelming number of people who are not part of a cooperative trying to access our services. And remember, you have to be a member of a cooperative to access the service. But then we have this over 3,000 people reaching us directly. Maybe they've heard about us on radio, seen us on, on newspaper, telling us, you know what, we are interested, we want to join. And some of them have actually attempted to save money on the platform. Others have attempted to borrow loans. And so what we did is that we opened it up to the public. Yeah? And that made us the first, um, the first company in Kenya right now to provide access to 
uh, mobile platform uh, savings and credit services on a mobile platform. We are work, I mean, and when you look at the, at the spectra, when you look at the, at the industry, how it is, you find that these cooperatives have very, very many branches. But now with Inukapap, we are branchless and we are serving the same purpose. Now, with that, we discovered that we are spending much less money in operations compared to the other cooperatives. And so we took the money that we were making extra. And what we have done is that we have partnered with one of the largest insurance companies in East and Central Africa called Britam to provide the first ever free, mob, uh, free insurance product on a mobile platform in Africa. This only in Kenya, but we'd also like to move to Uganda, Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. And we target about 25 million subscribers for $200 million in annual revenue. This would not be possible were it not for our team with years of experience. Yeah, years of experience. <laughs> I have over nine years of experience in micro, developing micro-insurance products and selling them through these local credit cooperatives. And we have Victor Mutui, who has over 10 years of experience in finance, and our CTO, Lawrence Joffer, who is an MIT lecturer right now. And together as a team, we have over 50 years of experience, and we want nothing less than to put Inukapap onto the global map. And here's the best part. We are raising, we're in the middle of raising, and that means that you can join us. You can join our team with years of experience. <laughs> We're raising 1.1 million. Uh, 500 of it is on, uh, on, equi on equity, and the other 600 is on debt financing because we are actually looking at, at, at lending our own, uh, our own funding directly to the members of the cooperatives because the cooperatives have promised to take the risk. So that means that we lend our money and the, we, we take about 60% of revenue generated over the platform. They keep 40%, but they also take the risk. So ladies and gentlemen, today I ask you to join us and let us rise up together. Thank you very much. Thanks, Wawiru. Time for a couple of questions for Wawiru. We have one over here. Hi, my name is Natalie. Here we go. I was hoping that you could expand a bit on the insurance program on the mobile platform. Is that a medical insurance program? How is it free? How does it work? Who do they reach? So this is a, this is a, and thank you for the question. This is a health insurance. Uh, it's, it's actually a micro insurance, but it's health, and so it's an inpatient. The beauty, the the thing in Kenya we've discovered is that. We've made a lot of losses in micro-insurance. And uh, the first company that uh, started doing micro-insurance uh, was Safaricom. They did a product called Linda Jamie. And uh, it, they partnered with Britam, and there was a lot of lessons learned from, from that product because they made losses based on the outpatient. So people, a lot of people would go into the, into the outpatient even when you just have a running nose, and there was a lot of mistakes that were made there. So what we did with ours is that we made it purely inpatient, about uh, $2,000 per family member. And for the outpatient, because we are a lending platform and these are our customers, what we've done is that we've created an, a loan for outpatient. 
So that means that if somebody falls sick and maybe just goes, gets quick treatment, they're able to borrow an outpatient loan and they're left paying it as a loan. Thanks. Uh, I see there is another burning question. What I'm going to ask is that you just hold that one until, uh, until the end. We will have an opportunity for more, but uh, let's just make sure that we, we get time for our last speaker. We're very thank you. Thank you very much. Our next company is from South Africa, and um, it's a combination. So I, I, I say, what do you get when you combine an engineer, an actuary, an um, artist, and a BCom finance? And other than the start of a bad joke, uh, a revolutionary new hardware and software business uh, going by the name of WizPass. So let's welcome Bradley from WizPass. Thanks, Yossi. Yes, my name is Bradley, but it could be Peter Pan, Superman, James Bond. Sound familiar? Well, it should, because this is what you, me, and everyone else visiting an office deals with on a daily basis. Waiting in a queue to sign in a so-called security register or being treated like a carrier pigeon delivering a tacky piece of paper from one security guard to the next. 46 years ago, a human being physically walked on the moon. Yet in 2016, we are still subjected to a pen and piece of paper to access a building. 10 seconds is all it takes to make a lasting impression. The first and last experience that you and I have when visiting an office is parking. It should be the best experience, yet it's possibly the worst experience there is. For ABSA alone, there are 3,000 people that visit their campus in Johannesburg every single day. That is 3,000 people every single day. That is 3,000 lost opportunities to create an amazing visitor experience. Now, this is just one building in one city, in one country. Imagine the hundreds of thousands of visitors to businesses in South Africa alone, and I imagine all those lost opportunities to create an amazing visitor experience. And on top of all of this, the current system holds no accountability and no traceability whatsoever, meaning it has absolutely zero security value at all. And this is the reason the US economy loses $2 billion annually due to loss of data from stolen laptops and other portable devices. For all of these reasons, we created WizPass. WizPass is a patent-pending hardware and software solution that records all user events electronically and securely. Using WizPass is extremely simple. You simply add a visitor to the WizPass dashboard Select the time, date, and parking area. The user then receives an email notification informing them of their parking and a link to download the WizPass app. On the day of the meeting, the visitor arrives at the building, opens the WizPass app, which connects automatically to the WizPass hardware unit. The user simply swipes right, and the boom automatically opens. Magic. An email notification is then sent directly to your host 
and to reception, informing them of your arrival, thus ensuring you're greeted by your correct name and on time. WizPass is now live and operational across a variety of sites in South Africa. And we've achieved all of this in just six months. 80% of the people that have used WizPass once become repeat users. We monetize this in a very simple and effective way. We charge a monthly fee directly to the landlord and not to the end user. And this is based on the amount of users utilizing the WizPass platform. Furthermore, we are also integrating into enterprise software solutions, such as Exchange and Condeco, giving us access to a clientele base on a global scale. And this is just the beginning. We also do public paid parking, not only business parks. So this little ticket is going to be non-existent. We are live at two shopping centers in Cape Town and one up in Johannesburg. And it gets even better than that. The WizPass technology is not only limited to parking. It can also be applied for fuel payments, toll roads, and drive-throughs, where we're currently in discussions with companies such as Total, Engine, Sassel, Nigerian toll companies, and KFC to extend our services into these industries. Through the use of the WizPass app, we are able to generate vast amounts of valuable user data, such as demographics, place of work, and user behavior patterns, opening up a completely new revenue stream for WizPass. Making this all possible is the uniquely skilled and talented WizPass team, ranging from actuarial science, engineering, business consulting, we've got it all. We've been able to combine hardware and software to connect us to the physical world around us. With this team, we have built a product that is 10 times cheaper than any alternative solution, a patent-pending technology, and a service that is integrating into enterprise software solutions. My name is not James Bond, it's Bradley. Thank you. Bradley, thanks very much. Uh, let's see, I'll, let me take one, one question specifically for Bradley, and then we can open up to questions uh, to any of the panelists or indeed to Yossi over there. Uh, hi, uh, thanks for that, Bradley. R really interesting. Um, just in terms of the public parking, are you competing with a lot of um, apps like Kaching, and, and there, there are quite a few new players in that space? Just talk. Yeah, so there's Kaching, and there's another company called Admit. Um, we're competing in the same market, different technology. They use license plate recognition, so it reads your, your number plate on entry and exit. Uh, for us, we didn't go into that space because the technology is very expensive. Those cameras are quite a lot. Um, and also from a security point of view, uh, it works great in a first world country, but in South Africa, unfortunately, when people start catching on that you can just drive up to a boom and it opens, a lot of cars are going to go missing very quickly. So we've, we've stayed away from that, um, from that market. But that's, yes, we compete directly with them in the paid space, but in the corporate space, they're not competing in that space at all. Thanks. And any questions for any of uh, our entrepreneurs or for, for Yossi? 
Went down here. Where's the mic? Towards the front, chef, please. I'm not sure why you call it a question session, because sometimes we don't always have questions. But I would like to thank the three of you and you for putting up such brilliant uh, presentations. It's thought-provoking, and uh, uh, good luck. It's inspiring. Thank you. Thanks for that, and uh, thanks for correcting me on my, uh, my misuse. Uh, you're very <laughs> welcome to offer comments in addition to questions. But I'd like to see them squirm a little bit. So, Mike, here, please, in the middle. And then next one over there. Um, thanks for the presentation. Uh, brilliant. So my question is for Inkupap. Um, how do you get around the different banking regulations in different countries? And what is that a, um, a barrier to entry for your product? Uh, so right now, we are only in Kenya. Uh, now is when we are looking at Uganda and Tanzania. The beauty about Uganda and Tanzania is East African market is, is more or less similar when it comes to the financial space. Uh, when we go to other countries, what we look at is um, partnerships. So we just work with existing companies that are already within the space. So like in Zambia, we have uh, a cooperative there that's already lending, that's already borrowing. Uh, they have about almost 3 million, uh, 3 million uh, members. Uh, so we don't want to just walk in and act like we know everything. Uh, we are very careful to work with, uh, with existing, existing companies uh, in there. In South Africa, there's backlist that uh, uh, we are looking at, so it's all about relationships. It's all about knowing what you're good at and allowing somebody else to be good at the rest. Thanks. Question at the back. Um, yeah, firstly, I just want to congratulate you guys and thanks for the good presentation. Then just a question on... Um, partnering with a big player like Barclays, do you see from a, uh, as a business owner perspective, do you think there's a risk of partnering with a big player and if they see you becoming successful, um, basically doing the same thing or just killing the business? Um, have you your thoughts on that? Okay, so I'll, I think I can take that. <laughs> so... Um, I just want to use a very simple metaphor. So if you take a value chain, okay, a value chain has lots of players in it, not just one person, like a pipe. And what happens is to be able to fulfill your, bring, send your value to your client or take your value to your customer base, you would need certain things that would take you time, would cost you money, to build on your own. So when you partner, you basically are leveraging on the strengths of other players to bring the value that you want to send to your client base. So in our case, to bring payment into the church space, you could choose to build from scratch entire systems. But what you do is you plug into systems that have been tried and tested. And in that process, you basically share on the value, whatever the value is, with the partners who are in place. What it does is it helps you to grow fast and scale quickly. So it's not a threat, but actually it's um, basically putting, nitrogen, um, putting fuel to your company if you're a big player. If you do not do that as a big player, you actually stifle yourself because you don't give yourself the opportunity to enter into markets that 
you naturally or traditionally won't have access to. So in the case of the bank, he would never probably have had access to process payments on, on behalf of the churches if, he did not, if she did not partner with us. And in, the, in our case, we will not have the le opportunity to leverage on very sophisticated systems if we don't partner with the bank in terms of payments. So it's not a threat, it's actually a very um, good relationship. Just to give some data to, to why big companies would run an accelerator as an example, um, the thesis, and we're working on the data just to, to verify this, is that it should be, the companies, large companies should be able to move three times as fast at effectively one-fifth of the price by working with startups. I mean, that's why small businesses and startups beat big companies is because their cost structure is much smaller and they're able to move much, much quicker. So by working with a startup, hopefully you're enabling some of those benefits and then for the startup, they're getting access to that large market. Obviously, at some point, they might be, uh, if the startup is now a billion-dollar company uh, or, or anywhere close to that, uh, the relationship and dynamics might change, but uh, that's always a good problem to have and to deal with. <laughs> yeah. All right. Just, just to say something about that, if you, if I know, with, with, especially with startups, we have this uh, fear of my idea being stolen, and it stops a lot of people from interacting, from networking, because you're, you're always afraid and you're always so protective of your idea. But I can tell you this. If you, you, by you not talking about it, you're losing more than when you actually talk about it. So it doesn't mean that big cooperatives will not... We have one company in, in Kenya, I won't mention the name. I'll just tell you it's, the, it's a big telco. They are known to steal other people's idea all the time. <laughs> but the truth is... They haven't stolen more than 10 ideas, and we have over, you know, we have thousands of ideas. So what I would say is, for, for a startup, you know what? Execution is what matters. It's not about the idea. And for the cooperatives, stop stealing startups' ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to understand the, the nature of your relationship with, the, with, 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 with APSA in terms of any shareholding arrangement or anything. And the reason why I'm asking that, because I was about to ask you the question that you asked previously. Like, if you're saying you're going to expand into South Africa, where normally it's the other way around, where established brands go into other markets in, in the rest of Africa. Now you have this brand now, um, a new kid on the block, coming to play with the big boys in South Africa. Um, and so, so perhaps you can talk about any level of resistance that you are expecting uh, when you're coming into this market. And uh, seeing that you do have a big brother, um, how the shareholding works there in terms of them maybe chewing you up in future, make sure you don't chew into their market share, etc. If you could just talk a bit about that. Okay. So from a... From a structural point of view, Barclays have no, no equity in, in the companies. Techstars is an early stage investor, has the equity, takes 6% equity in the companies, and that's standard throughout uh, the globe and all the 900 companies we've invested in. Uh, so Barclays have no preemptive rights or options on the company shares or anything along that. It's really about getting access, an early stage access to technology and being able to work with those companies uh, to be able to see if there's a strategic fit in the market and be able to drive that so that it's a win-win for both organizations. So that's just from a structural point of view. Obviously, companies uh, that are working closely with Barclays, there might be interest in having Barclays as a key shareholder if they're a, the primary grow-to-market or the technology 
uh, can scale through them and vice versa, but that's always uh, available and an option um, that's treated in, in the open market. So that's how the structure works. Just in, just in terms of your comments of coming to compete with the big boys, um, the more I spend time outside of South Africa, the more I realize how South Africa is actually, from a technology and specifically within the fintech space, actually the small player uh, in the market. What's happening on the continent abroad uh, outside of South Africa is actually remarkable. And, and in the application pool that we got, you know, the South African startups are quite um, traditional in terms of what they're looking at, whereas from Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, uh, and, and other countries, we really saw some extremely innovative new waves of technology that will leapfrog where we are today. So I'll just challenge that assumption a bit on uh, these uh, companies coming out to compete with the big boys. That's maybe where we are today, but I don't know if you read the news recently. Uber, the biggest city in, on the continent, is now in Cairo. Uh, so the landscape of South Africa as the juggernaut on the African continent is not uh, the way it's going to be if this is the current trajectory we're moving on. Now we've got time for one more very quick question. Sarah? Um, hi, and um, thank you very much. I think that your talks have been very inspirational. Uh, just a question on um, personal information. In, in South Africa, we have the Protection of Personal Information Act. And um, specifically, a question to Nana on the data feeding through to the church leaders in terms of uh, what is given. I think I just had a, uh, two questions on that. Firstly, legally, um, is that acceptable? And I, and I guess you can get consent to share that information. Um, but, but secondly, culturally, is, is sharing that information acceptable? Because I would say um, in, in South Africa, or in, in my culture, it wouldn't be acceptable um, to share that type of information with, with the church leader. Yeah, so um, like you just said, first of all, is a consent. Um, so one chooses to give his information or not to the church. And secondly, when you're given, you have an anonymous feature that allows you to give without showing who you are. So the church gets the money, but they don't know where it came from. And in terms of culture, as we expand our business across many markets, we've come across different cultures, and that has helped us evolve the application. So our application is designed to take care of different cultures. So in cases where you don't want to be known, you wouldn't be known in the church, and, but you can still get all the information that there is by, for example, on the app, you can just follow a church and you can get the information. They don't have anything about you. Um, but if you choose to let them have your information, you can also do that. So um, we, the system is designed to have different cultures. In my culture, for example, you actually would want your pastor to have your information. And if he doesn't have it, you get angry because he's <laughs> your pastor and you expect him to know everything about you. So yes, we're taking good care of the different scenarios. And for example, in another, in another country, there's actually an existing database of addresses. And if you, have, if you pass information, it has to be accurate. So you have to make sure you're, it's actually not person saying, this is my address, but actually talking to an API to populate the address portion. So yes, taking care of the different scenarios. Great. Thank you. I appreciate all of you rising up to the challenge and making sure that we, uh, we didn't have to sneak out of here early. And I think that's thanks to the really fascinating and stimulating discussion that's been presented today. And a big thank you to all of you gentlemen. Thank you for being here.